episode 18 of the Pilot to Pilot podcast takes off now. Good morning, AV Nation. This is Jeffrey the Pilot. I am a Citation Sovereign Toronto-based pilot here in Canada, and this is my story. What is going on, AV Nation, and welcome back to the Pilot to Pilot podcast. My name is Justin, and I'm your host. Today, I'm sitting down and talking with Jeffrey the Pilot. You guys have requested me to interview Jeffrey for a long time, and I'm so excited to finally get the chance to talk with him. In this episode, some of the things we talk about are why Jeffrey became a pilot, We talk about the differences in flying in Canada versus flying in the USA. Why it is important to start flying now. How Jeffrey flew cargo in the USA to help build his hours. We talk about the two biggest failures in his career and how he overcame them. And we talk about how we were both scared to death to do spins and how we overcame that fear. Guys, I'm so excited to talk with Jeffrey. I'm so excited for you guys to hear it. Thank you guys so much for listening to these episodes. It means the world to me. And as always, if you enjoy these episodes, please leave us a review. You can go to iTunes. You can comment below on our post. You can DM us on Instagram at pilot to pilot. We love hearing from you guys and your feedback helps me to create the best content possible. Guys, I am doing a giveaway with Wing Boss for this episode. I'm so excited to announce that we are giving away his flying solo hat. It is one of my favorite hats that he has released, and I'm so excited for the Aviation for the chance to win this hat. It is a great hat, and I can't wait to see. To win this hat, all you have to do is leave us a review on iTunes. And to let me know you have left us a review on iTunes, and so I can know your Instagram tag, comment below on the post for Jeffrey the Pilot podcast, and then I will know that you left that review. Just let me know that you left the review and let me know your Instagram name, and then we'll be able to pick a winner by Sunday. I also want to share with you guys that the Pilot to Pilot swag is up. Thank you guys so much for ordering what you have ordered already. It is awesome and incredible to see that you guys want to support this podcast. I'm so incredibly thankful. If you have bought swag, take pictures of it. Let me know. Let me see what you guys look like in it so I can post it on my page. I also want to remind you guys that you can save 12 to 23% off of your Log 10 Pro X subscription. It is one of my favorite logbook apps and it is a way for you to save money in what is a very expensive career. So go ahead and go to redeem.log10.com slash pilot to pilot, enter in some information and you get 12 to 23% off. This works even if you have a subscription already. So go ahead and do that head there. Aviation, thank you guys so much for your support. It means the world to me. Like I've said before, I'm so thankful for all my Patreon supporters. Thank you guys so much. If you want to go ahead and support us on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash pilot to pilot. And uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and get this episode started. Here's Jeffrey the pilot. Hey, Jeffrey, thanks for coming on the Pilot to Pilot podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem, man. I'm pumped to have you on. I know that I've been badgering you for a while trying to get you to come on. So I even uh, <laughs> trolled one of your live streams to kind of put the, the word in the back of your mind <laughs> to get you to come on. Yeah, it's uh, it can be tough I'm with the, the whole social media thing. And there's a lot of stuff going on in the background right now with YouTube and, and, and whatnot. So it's kind of tough to uh, to have found some time, but uh, gladly uh, gladly joining you today, and I'm, I'm happy to have some time off to be able to, to get some of those obligations out there that I've been trying to get done. Um, it's definitely good to be here, and it's definitely great to. Uh, I guess this is my first podcast, so it's just awesome. Neat. Well, yeah, man, it'll be fun. I can't wait to to share your story and kind of give your followers a different side of you and hear more of your voice and hear what your story is all about. Absolutely. Well, cool, man. Let's go ahead and get started. First question I ask everyone is, why aviation? What was the inspiration behind you wanting to be a pilot? Um, well, I, I'd have to say my inspiration was certainly my father. Uh, growing up as a, as a young child, uh, 
probably about age three is when it started for me. Uh, my father used to rent an aircraft out of a local airport. Um, on Sundays, it was almost uh, it was almost like our church. We would <laughs> we would pull into the airport. He'd pull me out of my car seat and literally lift me out of the car. I mean, back then in those days, you could drive your car right up to the rental aircraft that right. were in the airport. <laughs> and uh, you know, he would pull me out of my seat, plop me into the right seat of uh, a Piper Warrior. And off we go for our day. Um, it just became, it, it's, it's funny how it became normal. Uh, aviation and flying became so normal to, to most people, like getting into a car. Right. Uh, my family would, we would very seldomly ever drive for more than an hour anywhere. Anytime it was a more than an hour drive, we would rent a plane. And then uh, years later, my dad would, would buy his first aircraft. So I, I think my dad was my, 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 my motivation, my realization of aviation. And um, I also remember, uh, you know, back in the day when I was young, going on my first trip with my family on an airliner. Uh, back in the day, Air Canada had 747s. And I just remember staring out the window at this thing at probably age five and just being, wow, <laughs> that is amazing. And then, of course, the pilots come, you know, doing their walk down the terminal I'm just like staring at these guys, and I, I, I knew right there and then that I had to be a pilot. It was, it was, there was no other option for me. That's um, awesome. And uh, you know, later on in life, I've, I've come to realize how lucky I guess I am to have uh, to have known what I wanted to do at, at such a young age. So I, I definitely thank my father and my parents for supporting that dream uh, to now. Definitely. I mean, I've talked about this before, but knowing that you want to do this at an early age will help you out going forward because you're going to grind for it. You're going to do everything you can to get everything as fast as you can. And we all know aviation is all about seniority. So putting your time in, getting your hours, getting that job you want, it's all going to be when you start flying and how fast you get your training done. Yeah, absolutely. You definitely, <clears throat> in a seniority-based system such as the airlines and even even the industry at a whole um, is almost a, a pseudo seniority based industry, being that it's all based on experience. I mean, you, you do get jobs, and there are exceptions to the rule, like there is for most things. But you know, as you build those hours up, your your the doors that open are, are plentiful, and you can start choosing things. You know, as you get as you get up there. So, yeah, for all the ad geeks out there that that certainly ask me questions and ask that question to me, you know, like what's your suggestion and what should I do. I always reply back with just start now. Yep. Um, you know, waiting on on things is is only going to slow down the process. Uh, if flying is a dream, aviation is a dream. You can't shake it by going into another industry. You're always going to look at airplanes. You're always going to be staring at airplanes, and you're always going to wonder what if I became a pilot. So I, I think if you are a true ab geek at heart you, you owe it to yourself to at least uh go through it get your private license and uh see where that journey takes you definitely yeah i've talked to uh it was derek from airline pilot memes and he actually became a civil engineer and he was eight months out of college making like 70 grand and his work was right next to an airport and he saw planes take off and land and he was like why am i not doing that so he quit his job and he became a pilot and he did all of his training in eight months and now he's flying for some major airline out uh, down in down in the USA. So definitely, you can't shake it. If you're called to be a pilot, there's no other career that's gonna satisfy your life. Absolutely, you have to you have to follow that dream. Aviation, I, I think, is a special one in that regard. That I, I, I there's a lot of people that have the aviation bug. 
um, people that you meet almost daily have that aviation bug and they always wonder what it's like. And, uh, you know, as a social media, you know, personality, I think I, on my feed, I definitely put forth a, uh, a glamorized version. Uh, <laughs> it's hard not to, cause you know, you, you try to share the good moments and you try to share the positive, you know, you, you, anybody who's going to, who's going to have an Instagram or social media account based on the negative aspects of any industry. No one's going to want to see that. Right. Um, and you're going to be judged based on that. So, sure. you know, we, we do our best to put forth a, uh, a positive spin and, 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 and truth be told in my world, I think it's a good, there's a 90 to 10 or 95, five percentage of, of, you know, good to bad in the industry. There's no one comes to work every day and it's a dream. Um, there's just, we all have bad days. We're all allowed to have bad days. And and anybody who tells you otherwise is just lying to you or themselves or both. So, you know, I, I try to put the the positive forward and, uh, it is what it is in that regard. Yeah. And I like how you said that we all have bad days and it doesn't have to be you having a bad day, but I know just like flying through thunderstorms and around thunderstorms just can make your day 20, feel like it's 20 times longer and just really kind of stress you out. But there are times when you just have smooth sailing, tailwinds, beautiful sunrise, sunset. So it's it's definitely like you said about ninety five five percent of good and bad. Yeah, it's uh, and some of the simple things still kind of blow me away. I mean, when I I, I, I like personally flying at dusk or nighttime. Um, there's just something special about you know the smooth air and then just kind of cruising over the the, the city. I mean, I, I fly into Toronto. I'm based in Toronto, and just kind of flying over the downtown core. You know, I still look down. I, I, I still can't stop myself from doing that. So <laughs> I know, right? I think I think we all owe it to ourselves to remind ourselves how lucky we are for everything good that we have in life, not just aviation, but mm-hmm. uh, everything that we have. Um, I think flying definitely gets that out of me. Mm-hmm. I think without flying, I wouldn't have that kind of solitude and that time and cruise or just those kind of moments that kind of just stick out in your day of like, wow, that was really cool. Right. Uh, you just kind of look down and be like thankful. And then that kind of spins off into, Hey, I'm lucky I'm healthy and walking today. You know, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's a lot of people that aren't. And that's very uh, true. No, I, I think as, a, as, as people, we, we need to be more thankful of, our, of, of the good in our lives and kind of dwell on those things rather than the negatives and uh, good things usually happen when that, when that goes on. I would completely agree. So the idea of being a pilot was kind of implanted in you when you were three and then you kind of just all around aviation, you're looking at 747s, just kind of, you had to be a pilot. When did you start your training? How old were you? What was the process like trying to find somewhere to train? Was it pretty easy? Was it hard? Tell me more about that. Um, well, in my world, it was pretty, it's funny how at age three, things were almost pre-programmed at that point. Um, my dad had, had a plan. My parents had a plan by the time I was old enough to figure out, you know, what was what. So for me, um, in Canada, I knew about the air cadet league, which is, um, kind of like your cap system that you guys have in the U S Yeah, very similar. Uh, a little more militaristic, but kind of the same thing. And uh, I couldn't wait to get into that. So I believe it was age 13 or 14, 14 or 15, somewhere around there. You can join the, the they call it the Royal Canadian Air Cadet League. And luckily there was a, you know, a, a squadron in my hometown, a quite an active one. Nice. And um, I joined that as soon as I could. 
And that was essentially the beginning of my aviation journey, I guess, if you will. You know, and I went through programs through Air Cadets. I didn't get my license through the Air Cadet system as my squadron, unfortunately, coming from a, an insanely small town, um, there wasn't an allotment for a flying scholarship for that area just because of the size of the town, um, the size of the squadron, and, and so on and so forth. So had I grown up in Toronto, um, where I am now, there's many squadrons, and they get quite a few scholarships out of, out of that. But, I'm sure. Uh, I learned a lot in Air Cadets. I, I developed my love of aviation even more. And I learned probably things that at the time in my life were more valuable than getting a pilot's license. Definitely. Um, I learned leadership and, and confidence and, you know, how to motivate myself. And, you know, I, the lessons learned there, like I said, were, are, are much more valuable than had I gone through the uh, scholarship program. So after that, um, during high school, it was uh, just a matter of applying to a aviation college and getting accepted. There's probably a few, I guess, three big ones in Canada, or at least in Ontario where I am. Yeah. Um, and I had friends that uh, that went to, to to most of these, and most of these friends that I knew that went to these uh, often failed out. Oh no. <laughs> uh, yeah, and these were these were. These are very smart people. Um, uh, as far as smart, probably smarter, but probably didn't have the same hustle that I do. Right. Um, but I just decided to go with one that had a little higher higher pass rate. Smart um, man. <laughs> and I also wanted to get a, a college. I wanted a business background to back up my aviation college or to back up my aviation uh, licenses. And nobody else offered uh, business at the time other than the Humber College program that I ended up going through. Nice. Um, So I applied to that, got into that. And a funny story is that, you know, I had high school. This was in June of 90, I think, 8. And I had, um, I still had, I had to write the entrance exam in June, Mm -hmm. at the beginning of June. And I got accepted a couple of weeks later, and I was accepted into college before I was done high school. Oh, nice. And I actually had my first, you know, my intro day to the aviation program in Toronto at the college before I was done high school. Nice. So I kind of actually was in high school and college at the same time for a little bit, which was kind of kind of funny to, to go through. That is kind of funny. Yeah, it's, it's not yeah. The, the typical path, but it worked out, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, it worked out. It kind of sucked to uh, have lost the summer, you know, because everybody when they graduate high school just kind of wants to enjoy that last yeah. summer before everything. And uh, I had homework for uh, college before I was even done high school. So, <laughs> you know, I, I guess I guess that was kind of a, a good uh, kind of synopsis of my career and my life to this point. It was always trying to be one step ahead and always trying to hustle to get to that next step. Um I've been told my entire life and to this day still am that, you know, I need to think more in the moment than looking down the road. Right. I've always been a looking down the road and preparing for that kind of guy my whole life. So I think at this point it's a, uh, it's, uh, something I've learned to deal with a lot better than maybe I did when I was younger, but, right. uh, you know, you can't rewire the computer. It is, it is how it is. So. Yeah, I would totally agree with that too. Cause everyone's told me, it's like, don't be in such a hurry to get to the airlines. Don't be in such a hurry to fly huge jets because those jet pilots really want to fly low and they want to fly slow. Like they miss doing the flying that you're doing right now. 
but it's hard not to have what some people call it shiny jet syndrome or airline syndrome and stuff like that. So it's important for you to, I know being a CF, you might be a CFI, you might be flying freight, you might be flying aerial survey, and you might just be really down that you're not going to get to where you want to get, but just enjoy where you are. Like you're still flying an airplane. You're still doing something amazing that not everyone can do. So try to enjoy, take your, take a step back and just live in the moment. Like you said, and just try to do that. And it'll, it'll help your career out to help progress where you want to get. Yeah, absolutely. I, I certainly echo that. Um, uh, you know, it's it's hard to believe. You know, people will tell you your entire career, especially at a young, impressionable, you know, five hundred hour guy at his first job. You know, and you're you're sitting there and you're flying in this Navajo and you're 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 happy, <laughs> but like you just want to fly. You just you want the next best thing, Definitely. and it's hard to kind of. When someone goes up to you and says, look it, and gives you the advice that we're giving right at this moment, step back, enjoy the moment, enjoy the now, because one day you're going to look back at it and be like, man, that was a lot of fun. I learned so much. And you kind of have a a very different impression of what your current job is in 10 years down the road. Um, But, you know, it's hard to visualize yourself. It's hard to believe because the it's such a sweet dream that someone's feeding you. Oh yeah. You're going to be in the left seat of a triple seven. If that's what you want, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're, when you're teaching some guy how to do circuits, yep. you know, it's, it's a, it's kind of an impossible dream. If you will, it's, it's one of these, it's the just too sweet. It's too good of a dream that I guess deep down, you know, what's going to happen, but on the surface, it's hard to really believe that because that's just so awesome. Right. So you kind of don't, and you kind of, you kind of have that dream and it's always left as a dream until it really starts becoming within, within reach. So, you know, you can give that advice to a million and one people. And if you're my personality type, it's, that's how it's going to be processed <laughs> even to this day. Yeah. You know, I mean like I kind of, like, for the YouTube journey, like we were just talking before the podcast started, you know, you know, I know I'm going to get to a hundred thousand. I know this, but it's still an impossible dream. And I know I'm going to have to put in a ton of work. And I'm looking forward to doing that work and I'm looking forward to all that, but it's still like this, this dream, right? right. So it, <laughs> you can give your, it's so easy to give advice. It's so much harder to swallow your own advice. Oh, at without a doubt. So, yeah. And it's like you it's, said, it's, uh, it's, you have this dream and then you have the realistic of where you are right now. So you have to find that a good balance of dreaming big so you can hustle and you know what you're grinding for and then living in the now and enjoying where you're at right now and it's definitely a hard balance to have and you're not the only one that struggles with that I struggle with that I'm right now doing this podcast I'm dreaming where this podcast can go and I sometimes I just need to focus on what I'm doing right now and just create the best content right now and then everything right. will work out and that's to say that was the same thing will happen in your YouTube your Instagram price same thing happen in just any business that you start or any in your flying career that's just Focus on the now, focus on what you can do to better yourself today and everything else will just play in, play out. Exactly. And, and, and how I kind of say to people is be motivated by that dream, but be driven by what you're doing. You know, be, be motivated by it, but, you know, use that to drive to get there. Definitely. You know, it's don't, you know, so yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a fun road. I'm looking forward to it. For and, sure. Uh, as far as the, the school goes to get back onto that track. Um, we, uh, so I, I did the aviation college graduated in 2000 and, um, the industry was kind of slow and I was just kind of feeling out what to do. Fortunately at that time, my father had an airplane and, uh, we flew friends around and I was just getting as many hours as I could. Um, I knew I wanted to go to the U S 
Um, there was no doubt in my mind because in Canada, I would have been working on a, up north, you know, loading airplanes or oh, working yeah. in the office or kind of grunt work, I guess, if you will. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but again, I'm looking farther down the road. So that motivated me to just find a flying job, you know, and I knew the U.S. had a lot more opportunities at the time. So, you know, in comes the cargo gig out of Burbank, California. And, uh, you know. It's a good place to be based. <laughs> it was nice being a Canadian boy from Toronto with the harsh winters and whatnot that we get here. Yep. It was nice to be in palm trees and and uh, paradise, I guess, if you will. Heck yeah. Uh, for a couple of years. And I just... Uh, I just hustled it and, and, you know, built up, uh, I think in two years, I did about 2,400 hours of flying. Nice. I was literally houring out every year. Um, and uh, during that job, I already had my eyes set on coming back home to Toronto. I, I'm definitely, I'm not one of those uh, nomad type pilots that just love to fly in different parts of the world and needs to be in, you know, here, here and there and experience flying out of here and there. And I just wanted to get home. I'm definitely a homebody, um, self-admitted. I love, <laughs> I love the city where I'm from. I love the support base of my family and friends. Right. And, uh, I, I, I secretly wish I could be more, more adventurous in my career, but, uh, you know, you're happy where you're happy. And I was happy to come home. So, I knew that a company that I wanted to work for that I was eyeballing during my aviation college days. And uh, that company was operating at the same airport, flying some uh, twin engine turboprops and, uh, and eventually jets. Nice. And uh, I knew there and then that, uh, that I, I, that was the company I wanted to kind of focus my efforts on. And uh, as we were discussing earlier, I applied every month for that for two years with a resume on the last Sunday of every month and a phone call on the following Monday to the, uh, the person that was getting that resume. <laughs> and, uh, Hey, you, you get my just, resume. <laughs> yeah, They're like, yes, much, Jeffrey, you know, we I'm, got it the last 30 exactly, days. <laughs> that's, that's exactly how it went. Um, and, uh, you know, I throw the odd jab of a joke saying, Hey, you guys ready to hire me yet? Even All though right. I knew I wasn't at the time that they could hire me at, you know, it was just, I was a name. I was a familiar face, a familiar resume for sure. And, um, you know, my, my work visa in the U S was expiring. Now, remember, um, at the time I got down to the U S pre September 11th, in mm -hmm. fact, July before September 11th. And, um, being a foreign pilot in the United States at the time with a work visa, uh, was not a very advantageous thing to be. Yeah. Um, being that Homeland Security and everybody, because those pilots that trained on September 11th were down on on visas as well. And, you know, I don't want to get too far into that. But right. needless to say, at the end of my two-year uh, two uh, experience there, I, I got a, a message from Homeland Security saying they were aware that I was a foreign pilot operating in the United States and my visa was expiring in a certain amount of days or weeks it was. Yeah. And if I'm caught, you know, you know, working in the United States after an expired visa, so on and so forth. Oh my god! Essentially, I'd be brought to Guantanamo and never seen again. Right? So. <laughs> yeah, it seemed to be like a little bit of a bully text. Just be like, hey, we <laughs> yeah. we need to revamp and reconsider what we're doing here. So just go well, back. I, yeah, well, the world was a very different place those uh, those years as far as yeah. aviation and the acceptance of, of all of that. I guess right. so. Um, I was fine. I mean, I had my I had my uh, seeds planted here in Canada, 
and from all those resumes and phone calls. Definitely. And as that expired, that job came about, and um, I flew mainly corporate charter and some medevac flights on Piper Cheyennes for two years. Okay. All while applying to Air Canada the whole time. Nice, yeah. And uh, inevitably, I get hired by an Air Canada. Well, I guess if you really want to get into the meat and potatoes of my career, um, I got actually fired from that job. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. Um, was it like partially... a layoff type deal, or was it just being? No, 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 no. It was. Uh, it was a. Uh, I don't know how to really describe it. It wasn't a hands and feet. I guess I was. It was an attitude mixed with fitting in with the boss. Right. Um. Self-admittedly, I was 21 years old, 22 years old. I was young. Um, I truly grew up in this industry. I, I, um, I learned a lot of things in this industry from experience that I didn't really bring with me. I think as a young aviator out there, um, getting into commercial aviation, I mean, I was flying commercially at age 20. Oh, wow. Um, so... You know, I, I think that at that age, I don't care really who you are. There's very few 20-year-olds that I've ran across that are really mature enough to, you know, not make mistakes, I guess, right. um, as far as attitude and, and, and stuff like that. Um, I admire the ones that can, but I certainly <laughs> wasn't one of them. And uh, I guess my attitude and I guess my expectations got the best of me. And inevitably, I was let go from that job. Well, it's kind of like you said, there's, there's two, like in aviation, there's so many different personalities. And like you said, when you're younger and you're trying to figure out this career and you're still growing up, you're still a 20 year old kid. You're still trying to figure out who you are, what you kind of stand for and believe in and stuff like that. So when you get and you're probably, I know a lot of 20 year olds are bullheaded and have very strong opinions. So when you get an older guy or someone else in the industry that has a personality that clashes with you, I mean, it might not even mean that you were a bad pilot or anything like that. It's just personalities in a mix out. And that's how, that's in aviation all the time. I've had jobs with flying aerial survey where I didn't mesh well with, with the boss man, but I just had to keep my head down and kind of keep a low profile and stuff like that. So it definitely is, I'm sure that happens to quite a few people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I was most definitely one of those people. Um, I guess my, my confidence that I was kind of pumping, you know, my hard work was giving me confidence in a way, you know, applying for that job, working so hard for that job every month, sending the resume, you know, and getting, kind of getting it. I kind of got this confidence of like, I guess it was the first time in my life I realized that if I wanted something bad enough, I could make it happen. Yeah. Um, it wasn't so black and white like that, but subconsciously that's what was getting me. And, uh, you know, that's, that's where we ended up going and I got let go. Um, fortunately after a couple months of uh, riding the couch, um, you know, Air Canada Regional here in, in Toronto hired me and I was flying Beach 1900s okay. uh, under the Air Canada banner and, uh, which fit well because it was a good stepping stone into the main line. Yeah. And, uh, that's kind of where I saw myself going. Um, shortly thereafter, a company called Jets Go, um, started up here in Canada and, uh, I was, uh, Almost selected to go on to there, but they went out of business before um, I got a chance to go. Oh, no. That seems to happen a lot in aviation as these new startups <laughs> come in, promise a lot of stuff, and they're like, okay, you get excited. And wait, they close their doors already? What the heck? It's been right. six months. Yeah. Yeah. Well, luckily, well, you had to pay for your training there. So had I oh, gone wow. on course, yeah, it would have been a, it would have been a disaster. Yeah, for uh, $35, sure. $35,000 disaster. So yeah. I, I, 
I uh, avoided that pitfall. Dodged a bullet and, for sure. Uh, yeah, I dodged a huge bullet. <laughs> yeah. And uh, ended up, you know, it's a staying with the 1900s. And that's where the career kind of took an, it, it, its shape, I guess, in the forming where I am today and kind of where I want to go with it. Um, my dream was Air Canada or bust. Yeah. Like many aviators here in Canada, um, Air Canada is kind of, it's your, it's your company, it's your, your country's flagship carrier. You know, it's flying our flag on the tail. Yep. Um, so it's the one that most people kind of gravitate to. And I went for my first interview in 2005, I believe. And uh, I thought the interview went really well. Everything went really well. Um, but I got the PFO letter. Yeah. Um, you, you know what the PFO, PFO I is? I don't know. What's a PFO? It's the, the, the please F off. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, you didn't get selected. You know, we'll keep your resume on file for six months. Feel free to reapply in six months. Oh, wow. So... Um, not what you're looking for. No, definitely not the outcome (laughs) I was hoping for. And, uh, it was kind of earth shattering at the time, but I knew that, you know, I don't know. I just had this feeling that something else was going to come up. I I didn't know what or how or why, but I I really wasn't too, I wasn't as down about it as I thought. If you would have asked me five years before that, how I would feel if I got that letter from Air Canada, I would probably said, I'd probably get out of aviation. Right. Um, but it was, that's just a silly notion. It's even sillier now, but it was most definitely silly then as well. Right. But um, the owner of my airline at the time had a Citation Bravo. Nice. A uh, little business jet. And, you know, I was like, oh, you know, why don't I try this out? I really enjoyed flying corporate and the turboprops. I enjoyed kind of the longer layovers and the hotels and, the, you know, exploring the cities and having more downtime than the airlines were giving. So... Um, I was lucky enough to go captain directly. It was my first jet and they put me through a captain course on it Nice. and I was flying that and, uh, that's not so bad of a job at all. (laughs) Oh no, I was flying back and forth to the Caribbean and Florida and I just, it was awesome. I was having a blast. You had a good corporate job. Corporate life was good to you. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. So I ended up, uh, doing that. And then, of course, the six months of Air Canada come up, and I'm like, ah, I'll just reapply and see what happens. And at the time, I get a letter back from Air Canada saying, you know, your ground school date starts on this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, oh, like, did they even got the right guy? Like, I, you're <laughs> supposed to go through, like, a little bit more than this, I, I would imagine. Right. Um, they were quite disorganized in their hiring back then. Um, it was their big hiring boom. So, yeah. like, quite admittedly, they uh, – I'm sure they'll admit that uh, it was busy. They were growing their fleet size and they were just hiring tons of pilots. So long story short, um, at this point, I had a lot more friends flying at Air Canada and I kind of knew a little bit more about the company and what they had to offer as far as a lifestyle and whatnot. And I just decided at the time, you know what? I really like corporate. I'm going to stick with it. That's awesome. And that was kind of that. And, I, you know, I wrote back to Canada saying, you know, thank you. Um, but, you know, I've chose a different career path within aviation. You know, thank you. I love and, hearing that. Uh, because, like, it, it's we talked about this before we started recording. And just, like, how you build this whole dream of how your aviation life's going to go. How your career's going to go. You're going to be an American. You're going to be a CFI. You're going to go to the regionals. You're going to fly for American United or Delta. But you don't anticipate like you said you don't think about the time where oh hey air canada is going to say no what do i do now and you don't mm-hmm. completely quit aviation you just have to regroup and find something else to do like there's other awesome flying opportunities 
in Canada and the States, all over the world that you can do. It's like you said, you didn't even know you loved corporate until you didn't even figure out that's going to be kind of your career until you got that, that, what would you call it? POF or PFO. Yeah. P- PFO. Yeah. yeah. Once you got the PFO and then you had to regroup and kind of think what you could do, but you found this amazing career opportunity to fly corporate, to go to the Bahamas, to go to Florida, to fly all over the place on an awesome jet. And you were a captain on it. You didn't have to sit right seat in a Beach 19 or in uh, some re- smaller regional aircraft. So you got to fly an awesome plane, be a captain, kind of, you got a, an awesome, you, this wouldn't have happened unless you got that PFO. And that's something I encourage other people is don't be so set on your plan. It's like I had plans, but my plans have changed too. You just got to roll with the adversity, roll with the punches and enjoy this career as much as possible because there's so many great opportunities out there and so much cool flying that you can do. And you might not even know that you want to be a corporate pilot until you get a PFO until you get a no. So don't, don't worry about that. Just keep grinding. Like we always say. Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, it was a grind. It was a lot of, um, a lot of forks in the road that have led me to where I am today. But I'm sure you're, you're glad that it's happened though, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. You know what? I'm happy to be in corporate. If I had to do the whole thing all over again, I don't think I would have changed much. I mean, of course I would have changed my attitude at that first job in Canada. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, it's you, you live and learn. Nobody yeah. is perfect. And, you know, I, I've, I failed. I failed my private pilot flight test the first time I did it. Okay. You know, I've had, I've had, I've had failures that at the time seemed earth shattering um, and kind of makes me feel like maybe I don't have a future in aviation just because, you know, right. I, when, I, when I failed my private pilot's license test, they... I was like, oh, Air Canada is going to see this. They're going to want me. Right. Like, I just, yeah, I couldn't even pass my, pri-. you know, like, those are the kind of things that go into people's heads. And I just wish there was a way that people would believe me when I tell them that, you know, the things that may seem like such a big deal to you right now, they're, 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 they're so small. They're a grain of sand. Definitely. You know, Delta, American, United, they don't care that you fail your private pilot's license. No. They don't care. They, a, they probably can't see that record, or B, they don't care about or see both uh, both of the above. All right. People have bad days, you know? It's not like that doesn't right. mean you're a bad pilot just because you failed your private pilot license or instrument commercial, whatever it is. Don't be too hung up on that and just continue to do it. Like they know that people have 100%. bad days and it's how you handle that adversity because nothing's going to be perfect in flying. That's just how it is. Flying planes, 100%. captain, first officer, no day is the same. Something is going to happen and they want to know how you can handle that adversity. Right. 100%. Um, you're, you're going to have failures. You're going to have bumps in the road. You're going to have quite possibly a change in career direction. Yeah. Um, you know, follow what makes you happy. My buddy who has been at Air Canada for 15 years and had the dream of being at Air Canada and Air Canada or bust mentality, um, sees what I'm doing and sees my side. Mind you, the grass is always, always greener, but, uh, he hates it there. He's had enough of the, uh, the lifestyle and the, the monotony of airline flying. So, um, you know, I mentioned to him that, you know, in, in my fleet with my aircraft, there's a global express and he's just like, man, like I would honestly, I would, I would leave here in a heartbeat to go fly that and travel the <laughs> world, sure. and, you know, and just be, you know, out there and the grass is always greener. Definitely. Um, you know, that globe, I, I don't even fly the global express, but I know it'll have its hardships as like any other, um, but my aircraft within the fleet, I honestly, my job, I, I, I'm not just saying this, I've been I'm very candid with this interview, but uh, I have such a good gig. I'm so happy to have it. And I really honestly cannot think of 
really anything wrong with my current gig other than the glamour of the fact that I don't fly to Florida and all these sunny, awesome destinations anymore. My company that owns my airplane has 2,500 locations around Canada and growing. And we have, you know, the that business pays for the airplane and those locations and businesses and future businesses are the reason I have a job. So, you know, I'd love to go and hang out. Like we, I say it to my dad because you know we come from Toronto and there's no palm trees here. It's like <laughs> it's not about chasing palm trees. Nope. You know, it's it's about finding that life balance of you know having a good stable gig, flying an airplane that's well maintained that has good people flying it. You know, having a good schedule, a good paycheck, an understanding you know boss. You know, I have out of out of the ten things on a checklist, nine of them are, are ticked off. Yeah, and uh, I've never ticked off more than like five or six anywhere else in my career. So, you know, I I can live with with a nine out of ten. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah, definitely. And be quite happy about it, and, and and realistically making it a ten out of ten. That's just awesome. Because nothing is perfect. So nothing is perfect. I'm lucky. I'm happy where I am. That's awesome, man. I know you said that you had some struggles in your training and going back to your training a little bit. What would you say was the hardest? I know you said you failed your private pilot check ride. Was it, did you get hung up on a training aspect where you're not ready for the check ride or was it just a, you just had a bad um, day? Well, it's funny to bring it up because we've definitely been talking about it. It was a, an attitude and confidence thing. Yeah. Um, like I said, I've flown with my dad, you know, I had, I mean, if I could log right seat hours in a, in a Piper Aero and, in and, and uh, Piper Warrior with my dad. Mm-hmm. I would probably have had about, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred hours when I went to college. Oh, wow. Uh, so I was <laughs> That's insanely awesome. Comfortable. I was insanely comfortable in a small aircraft. Um, I was insanely comfortable with, you know, using instruments to yeah. fly my airplane because at age three, when my dad handed me control of the airplane, I couldn't see over the dashboard. <laughs> so I would stare at the attitude indicator and fly the airplane that way. That's awesome. And, you know, that was probably. I'm not, a, I'm five foot nine, so I've never been a tall guy. Yeah. So, you know, from age three to age, like, I don't know, probably maybe even almost a teenager, I really couldn't see over the dashboard. <laughs> so, That's funny. you know, I have a lot of years of flying IFR, but, you know, failures uh, on the private pilot's license was I had a uh, tail strike oh, on takeoff when okay. trying to do a performance takeoff in a diamond katana uh-huh. that is very low to the ground to begin with. And the tail actually has this little strake at the back that actually has a skid plate on it. Four for tail strikes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for that instance. Yeah. So it wasn't a, uh impossible thing to see happening. It had never happened to me in training. Uh, a few guys in my college had had it happen in training, but fortunately for them, it wasn't on their flight test. I, I waited for mine to happen on my uh, <laughs> flight test. So yep. that was that. Um at the time, it just really sucked. I wouldn't say it really beat me down. It made me question whether Air Canada is going to see that and so on and so forth, all those right. silly things that go through your head. But uh, I, I wouldn't say it beat me down. I knew at that point I was going to be a pilot, and I knew nothing was going to stop me. So it was, it, was, it was mentally a breakdown, but it wasn't a overall you know, you know, stoppage of flying and reevaluate everything. It was just a, right. it was a bump in the road. And, you know, a couple, a couple of weeks later, I went up and did the flight test and passed. And nice. that was that. Yeah. So, no, no big deal. You got your private now. You can go fly. You're not different than any other private pilot out there. So. Exactly. Yeah. So it was, it was, and it was a big step. I think that private pilot's license is, is the biggest, uh, it really is the biggest step that you'll take. Yeah. It's such an uh, unknown because you don't know what you're getting into. 
you don't know what you're getting into and you're not a pilot. Like you can't call yourself a pilot until you have those wings, you know, it's like, yeah. a, I don't know. I, I, I feel that it's the big step because it, at that point now you figured out, you know, can I do this daily? Right. You know, do I love this? Definitely. And a lot of those questions should have and probably have been answered. Um, yeah. So that was the, that was probably the biggest failure between that and getting fired. Those are the two, uh, yeah. big failures in my career fortunately i haven't had any since then so yeah well like you like we talked about earlier it's, it's how you handle those moments and you have progressed in your career you didn't let that affect your career you let that kind of reevaluate and kind of take a step back and see where you want to go from there and look it's worked out for you so anyone listening to this if you had any failures if you've been fired it doesn't define who you are as a person or as a pilot you have the opportunity to step back reevaluate and keep going. That's your only option. Just keep going. See what you can do next. See what corporate jobs. See what freight flying you can do. Anything. Just keep going. Absolutely. The um, the, the old adage of it's not a matter of when you get you know get knocked down. It's how quick you get back up. And mm-hmm. it's such a such a cliche and so overused. And it's on t-shirts and hats and everybody yeah. skews it. But you know, like if I could give advice to people that are going through it other than being ready and prepared that, you know, you're going to have failures at some point is being ready for that failure. in, in, in the sense that ask yourself after you fail, you know, am I going to give up flying? Right. And if the answer is no, there is zero reasons to sit back and let it slow you down or derail you. You're going to be going again. So get back up, get, get on it. Like it's, you know, that despite the crappy situation you may feel yourself in, you just learned a valuable lesson. Mm-hmm, for sure. And, uh, you know, I just saw it recently, you know, I think it was the Conor McGregor fight recently that happened, you know, <laughs> like he says he never loses. Even when he, even when he gets beat, he learns something from that fight. Yep. So he never really loses. And again, that sounds cliche and silly and overused and whatnot, but it, it, it really is true. It is. Um, you know, it, it, like life, you know, you go through all these things as you get older and you look back at how you viewed things as a child and as a teenager and whatnot. And you're like, as, a, as an adult, you kind of realize, man, I was like, all of these kind of silly things that I used to laugh at, they're really true. And I'm sure I'm going to learn more of them in my life as well. I'm sure I'm not, I'm, I'm not topped off in the, uh, in the learning column or even close to it. Oh, so, definitely not. Yeah. You're you know, always learning, whether it's life, whether it's being a pilot, just in general, always strive to learn, strive to be better. And it doesn't matter how cliche it is. Just try to apply that to your life in any way. Right. Like I said, if, if, if you're going to, if you're going to have a failure, ask yourself if you're going to quit. Yeah. And if your answer is no, then like the faster you get back up, the faster mm-hmm. you get back on track, the faster and better your career path is going to be. Definitely. Like we were talking about getting your foot in the door, starting now, starting yesterday. Yep. You know, it's all about that. It's all about the, you know, the hustle and, and getting in there and putting in the time and the effort and, you know, you're going to fail. Definitely. I, I mean, I don't, honestly, I don't know anybody in aviation who hasn't either partialed or failed something that's been in the aviation industry as long as I have. Right. So... And you, you don't like, I know I keep talking about adversity, but you don't necessarily want someone that hasn't handled adversity at all. Cause that's kind of an unknown for them. You don't know how they're going to react. You don't know. I know when I played football, they put you through situations that made you fail because they wanted to see what happened to you and what your thought process was like when things failed. So it's, it's almost not even a bad thing to experience failure, 
to experience just a setback because you get to learn how you react in situations and you know that you can safely operate a plane when something fails and when you fail at something. Right. Yeah, no, you have to, you have to fail. I, I think in aviation, you don't see a whole lot of purposeful failure stuff except in the simulators. Right. Um, you know, if you're a really good simulator candidate, I, I know as a sim instructor myself that I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed pushing with the best people the hardest. Right. Um, because, you know, you can be the best at it, but how good are you going to be when you actually do fail? Right. Exactly. You know, um, and as an instructor, I think you kind of owe it to yourself and the, and the you know, the, the student to push them as to their limits. Definitely. So, you know, uh, luckily in my career, I've been pushed to my limits a few times. <laughs> There's nothing and, wrong with that. And, uh, you know, I, I've learned, I've learned a lot from it. So, Definitely, which is good. You're you're going to scare yourself in aviation. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to fail at some point, but, uh, as long as nobody gets hurt and the airplanes in one piece, they're really not failures. They're just, just tougher to swallow lessons. I guess. <laughs> no, that's very true. And then going back to your training a little bit is I know in America, you kind of go private to instrument commercial and CFI or get fly commercially. Is that the same path that you took or was it a different path at all? Um, typically aviation colleges and most flight schools here, if you know, you're going through to be a professional, you start off with your private, of course you go and do your night rating. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you start your commercial training. So in Canada, we don't have a, a multi-commercial. Oh, wow. Um, the only time the multi kind of comes back up again is when you do your multi IFR. So in Canada, luckily I've done both. Um, so I can definitely speak to it. I mean, I did both back in 2000. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, that's kind of my, my area of expertise is actually the difference between Canada and the U S and I fly Perfect. between Canada and the U S quite a bit. <laughs> so in Canada, we do our private, our nights, and then we go right into our commercial training, okay. which in my humble opinion is just a, a private pilot's license that you have to build 200 hours for. Right. Um, I really didn't notice a whole lot of difference between it. Maybe the standards were a little tighter, but overall, it's just a private pilot to a higher standard, right. I guess, um, which is, I guess, in a sense, what it's supposed to be. Yep. But uh, after you get your commercial, then you do your multi-rating. Um which is you know a ten hour program here in Canada. Okay. And then after that, you do your multi IFR. Oh, so you don't um, even really fly uh, IFR until after your multi rating. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Um. Which would which kind of is counterproductive as far as the advice I would give somebody if they're paying for their training. Right. Because that I think after your after you got your you know a hundred hours or so. You should work on your IFR because that'll help build towards the 200 hours you need for your commercial. The commercial, exactly. like I said, is just a it's a it's almost a rite of passage, if right. you will, um, in Canada. So yeah, so that's how it goes. And then of course after you're done the uh, you know the commercial and the multi, you do the multi IFR, and then you're kind of spat out into the industry. Um, you either do your CFI or here we call we call it our instructor rating. Mm -hmm. um, we have three different or four different classes. You have a class four, three, two, and a one, and you progress at them in that order. You start off as a class four and so on and so forth. You build your way up to class one based on how many students you've put through the system and then flight tests, etc. Okay. Um, so that's how it's done here. Now in the US, um, I got a, you know, uh, based on my medical, my Canadian license, a, an American FAA private. And 
Uh, I had to do a commercial multi-engine ride. Okay. And then I did my IFR single engine, I believe. And that gave me multi-engine commercial IFR privileges. Nice. So you automatically got your private pilot license just from your medical and your standing right. with Canada. And then you only had to take the check rides for the additional ones after that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I had to write a couple of exams. I had to write the IFR exam mm-hmm. and I had to write the, um, the commercial. Okay. Which are insanely easy in the United States. Oh, really? <laughs> oh my God. Insanely. You guys literally get a book with all the possible questions. That is very true. And we, it even gets better than that. We have this company called Shepherd Air that has a list of every single question that they've ever asked and they put out an iPad app and you just kind of memorize everything and go from there. <laughs> Really? Yeah, it is amazing. And I mean, those tests, I mean, you know what, like, it's important to know the information, but those tests is just about passing and then you just get your whole check ride, essentially, you know? Right, right. Where in Canada, it's like, you go for your commercial, anything under the sun can be on that exam. Yeah. You know, you just got to know everything. Which isn't uh, a bad thing because you're a commercial no, operator. No, it's not a bad yeah. thing. No, not a bad thing at all. Um, but I find our ground briefs here in Canada are usually a little more lax than they are in the U S. Okay. Um, they're definitely, definitely more lax. <laughs> um, the American, the FAA guys love ground briefs, man. I've seen guys in ground briefs for like two hours plus. Oh yeah. It's and crazy. That's just, that's just punishment. Even there's been stories about people taking their CFI check ride and they'll have an oral of nine hours, 10 hours before they even fly the airplane. Yeah, that's insanity. Yep, for sure. Uh, I mean, I guess I don't know much about instructing, so I can't comment on it, but it seems a little excessive to me. Yeah, I I wasn't an instructor either. I was so ready to start making money and fly bigger planes, fly multi-engine planes that I didn't do it. But yeah, it's it's definitely hard. And I give a lot of props out to the people that have done that because it's not easy. No, it's definitely not easy. And I, 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 I do as well. The reason I didn't become an, an instructor is because I would have been afraid to fly with me on my first couple of days. <laughs> so, <laughs> I feel that, that was man. All, that was all the motivation I needed. Yeah, I didn't want to, like, I have so much respect for people that love to teach. I'm not, I don't love to teach like someone else would. And I didn't want to do stalls and spins for eight hours a day. I wanted to go from point A to point B and do all that kind of cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the same page there. Yeah. Did you have any crazy stories in your training? Like, did you have any stories that were, that scared you? Did you have any like crazy stall stories or anything like that? No, my training actually went pretty uh, pretty straightforward. Good. Um, I really don't have any any interesting stuff to add to training other than you know the failure of my private. Right. Um, for the most part, it was uneventful. I remember as a pilot being insanely scared of a of a spin. So was uh, I here in Can- here in Canada. <laughs> That's part of our training. I don't. Do you guys do them now? So you don't have to have spin training until you're going for your CFI. So you can go through okay. your whole training without having any spins, unless you right. want to become a CFI. Right. So in in Canada, you can't pass your private flight test until you can safely enter one and exit one on your own. So the first time I did a spin, I mean, I come, you know, again, I'm coming into this with insane amount of time in my dad's airplanes, yeah. flying around there. But I, I mean, my dad never spins or stalls his airplane. Right. No one does. You know, <laughs> nobody does. Yeah. So, of course, I was, I was quite nervous about what a spin really was. I mean, we didn't have YouTube back then or anything to really kind of show you what it was. It was like right. a spin, to me, 
was Maverick and Goose and Top Gun in a flat spin in an F-14 over exactly. the water. Exactly, yeah, that's right? what I was so, thinking too. <laughs> so that's, that was really what I thought was coming to me. Um, I mean, silly to laugh at it now, but back then, I mean, what else was I to believe, right? right. So, you know, all my all the people in my program are doing the spins and they're just coming back and saying, oh my God, that was so much fun. I'm like, I am like, crapping my pants right now. I'm not <laughs> excited about this at all. I can't wait for this lesson to be over with. I know. And I'm going to be very happy when you guys see me again when we get back on this I know, right? Because I so, don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> right. You know, in the first time, like I was holding on to the side of the airplane, like the the armrest, like I've never held on to anything before. <laughs> and we did the spin, and uh, it was a lot less eventful than I thought it was going to be, yeah. I guess, put it that way. So it they actually is. became kind of fun. Yeah, no, they are fun. I mean, the plane recover, if you, the plane most likely will recover itself. I mean, you have to learn how to do it, but it's not hard. It's just kind of like the, getting the first one out of the way and getting the experience of what it actually looks like to have a nose toward the ground spinning <laughs> uncontrolled, yeah. but you're not like, you're not, you're always in control. Like it's not an uncontrolled right. spin. So that's something you have to right. get your head. hundred percent. So yeah, that was, that was about as juicy as I ever got in my, in my flight training. <laughs> I was uh, terrified of spins too. So you weren't alone. I was, I'm not a roller yeah. coaster person. I'm not anything of that. So just the idea of spinning, I was like, why would I want to spin an airplane? I'd never plan on spinning an airplane. It's going to be always straight and level flight for me. And, but I mean, you never yeah. know what can happen. You're flying IFR, you lose an instrument, you might get into a spin and how are you going to recover it? So it's, right. it's, it's there for a reason. Do the training. It's going to, even if it's not required, like in the United States, like we said, do it anyway just be the best pilot you can be and get all the training that you can be. It'll be worth it in the long run. hundred percent. Yeah. And then kind of segueing into, so you didn't really have was, what was the rest of your training? Like, do you have any other failures? Was it all pretty easy? Like we've been talking, not necessarily easy, but it all kind of go as planned. Yeah. Pretty much after that, it went pretty much to plan. Um, really wasn't anything interesting to, you yeah. know, to report on, on that. It was, nice. you know, it was just a matter of grinding through it all and getting it all done and, yeah. and so on and so forth. So, Good. One other yeah. question I wanted to ask you was we kind of briefly talked about how you got into the career. You kind of became a professional pilot around 9-11. What was 9-11 like in Canada? Like I know, as you probably know, in America, it kind of shut down hiring. People got furloughed. Did that happen in Canada too or did things kind of? Well, the industry here in Canada, I wasn't too intimately familiar with because as I mentioned, I, I was working in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, so I was there. Um, I don't think it seemed to I, I don't know really to be yeah. honest it didn't seem like it slowed much but i wouldn't be one to really accurately right. comment on that because i'm not too sure really what happened here that's good well um, i hope it wasn't as bad that, <laughs> no no i know that in the u.s that uh, the cargo places that i happened to be lucky enough to be at the time were really busy mm -hmm. um cargo always has the fly yep cargo uh, has to fly that's so a good thing and a bad thing <laughs> right yeah so I was I was happy to be where I was there, um, but yeah, I, I heard I knew the industry in the U.S. The U.S. kind of stopped. Yeah. Um, but as far as everything here in Canada, I, I'm not too sure what happened. I know as far as you know, you know, uh, you know, and pop culture and and our politics and everything that played out here in Canada, you know, I I think it was very similar to the U.S. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, I think being being the you know the American the the biggest ally to the U.S. and being a neighbor, I think that what whatever whatever big happens to America kind of comes back. None directly happens to us as well. Right. So. Yeah. It's interesting to think about how like being a Canadian pilot in America during September 11th and how 
Homeland Security was kind of just like freaking out. They didn't know what to do or how to handle things. And they're just like, yeah, let's, why don't you just go back to Canada for a little bit? It's like, right. you're good. It's like, oh, interesting. It's like, I'm not, I'm a capable pilot that's just doing my job. Why do I need to go back, you know? Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, like you said, you were looking to get back anyway. So it seems like it all kind of worked out. Yeah. And uh, I say that a lot, that everything always seems to work out in the long run. Oh, it does. Yeah. Uh, again, sure. it's hard to believe at the time, but. It does. Yeah. How many hours did you have after you got your commercial license? Like when you got a job flying freight in the States, how many hours did you have when you got that job? Uh, about 500 hours. Okay, cool. And then when you went there, did you fly right seat? Did you fly left seat? Cause yeah, cargo. I was in right seat okay. until I could go until I had the, uh, 1200 hours. Part, yeah. The, the yeah. part 135 yeah. hours. What was uh 135 flying like? Did you enjoy it? Did it scare you a little bit? Because I know in my personal experience, it's what I do right now is fly 135. And as you said, freight has to fly and this weather will not always work out. And you really have to be on top of your game and you're going to be tired. You're going to be short on rest and you're just going to have to be the best you can be in difficult situations. Did you see that too? Yeah, 100%. Um I definitely scared myself a lot in my first two jobs as far as, you know, <laughs> kind of, you know, they tell you in your IFR training that you're going to get your, you know, your personal IFR mins. Mm -hmm. But uh, when you start flying commercially, it's really hard to have your own personal mins if they're not the mins. Yeah, and keep a um, job, right? <laughs> yeah, and keep a job yeah. and, you know, have an employer that's okay. Well, 400 feet, it's 200 feet right now. And you're in an airplane that's IFR certified. You've done an IFR ride. Yeah, get and it done. Cargo loaded on your airplane. Like, yeah. get the heck out there and go and do it. Yep. So, I scared myself. I remember. I remember doing my first approach, real approach in the Navajo. I was going it flying from Burbank to uh, Montgomery Field in San Diego, and I learned very fast what a marine layer was. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. We don't have. We don't have anywhere near where I live. That's no. for sure. And. Uh, the marine layer was in. I remember going mist at 200 feet, and I hadn't even touched the cloud yet. Oh wow! <laughs> and I thought that was that was eye opening. Yeah. Um, and even to this day, you know, if I were to fly my current, if I flew the Sovereign somewhere that had a marine layer, and we were on our way down 200 feet, you know, we did, you know, and we did, you know, a 200 foot go around, and I hadn't touched the cloud, I'd be like, wow, you know, that's. That's pretty nuts. Yeah, that's so, interesting. You know, I, I was I was lucky enough to see that at you know five hundred and four hours or whatever I was at that point, right? So, right. Um, I got to do that, and then the marine layer was always my teacher, uh, it seems. And uh, I remember doing an I again an ILS into San Diego and landing on the runway, breaking out at like two hundred feet with enough you know to to, to land. Yep. And during my rollout, the marine layer was like across the runway, and I ended up back in the cloud at around 60, 70 knots in the oh Navajo. My gosh. <laughs> and I just literally just hammered on the brakes. Yeah. And then, like, you know, once you're stopped, I can kind of see about two feet, three feet in front of the airplane, maybe. And I was just taxiing it that way. And I had to stop on a taxiway. I couldn't, yeah. I didn't want to bring it onto the ramp because I wouldn't be smacking wingtips with things. So I stopped on the taxiway. Definitely. Especially at San Diego, it's not a small airport. So big planes are there. Yeah, well, I was at Montgomery, which had which was a smaller airport. Okay, that's good. Uh, but there's a lot of airplanes on the ramp there. It's a very busy little airport. Yeah. Um, I mean, they have a tower, ground. They, they're a pretty busy little airport. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, Southern yeah, California. Was, that's what happens. Yeah, it was a it was a eye opening experience to say the least. I was flying 
Let's see. I was just finished freight. So I landed right before the fog came in. Like as soon as I shut down the airplane, immediately zero, zero. Like it's crazy how fast the fog rolls in. I couldn't, I, I shut down the plane. I was standing four feet from the plane and I couldn't even see it. I was like touching the plane and my hand disappeared. But my, I was 91 repositioning after that. And I waited a little bit to the fog where I felt comfortable because I mean, zero, zero is kind of difficult, but. When you're part 91, when you're repositioning, that's legal. You can take off zero, zero. So I technically took off with the ATIS saying zero, zero. And it was funny because the controller was like, well, you can take any intersection departure you want. Just let me know which one you see first. Cause he's like, I don't know where you are. Just go there and just do it. But you see a couple feet in front of you and you got the lines, you got your light. I mean, the lights kind of hurt you in that case because it reflect off the, the fog, but it, you right. get up 200 feet and you're fine. If you know what you're doing, it's not a big deal, but it's definitely weird not being able to like having those same visual cues that you always have when you're flying. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Which it's, is funny. Uh, I, I, I luckily don't see a whole lot of it right now. That's good. Um, you know, I, Toronto's usually 200 feet about as bad as you're ever going to see. And you'll see it maybe a couple times a year, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we fly to Toronto so. every once in a while on our, with our freight, we go into Hamilton, we go into some smaller okay. airports South of Toronto. And then we also go to Montreal and yeah. it's funny going to Montreal cause obviously they speak French. So when you get yeah. out there to speaking French and I'm speaking English and there's a, a little bit of a disconnect because I mean, there's, there's always someone that can speak English, but it's funny when you get the, the guy fueling your plane and you're trying to tell them, I, we always say pounds and obviously you guys yeah, don't use right. pounds there. And they're like, right. they're like, I'll take 20 side. And they're like, 20 aside. I'm like, Oh, pounds. Like let me, hang on. Yeah. Let me do the conversion in my phone because I'm an American yeah. and don't know the conversion rate in my head. Right. Right. But it's funny. Just the differences. I've been, I've been into the, I honestly, a lot of our, my flying, my career has been to the U S so I'm, yeah. I'm really used to, to the whole, you know, 150 gallons is a thousand pounds. Yeah. 60, 600 liters is a thousand pounds. Yeah. So well, if you remember 150 and 600, you're good. All right. I like that. That's uh, good so to know. <laughs> and, that, and that's in thousands. And if you need, you know, 500, then you just half it. Right. That's, so yeah. it's, that's how I order my fuel. It, it's close enough that it doesn't make a difference. Even when I was flying turbo props. So. Yeah, that's good. And then also one of the differences is when you depart, they don't tell you when to switch over to departure. So like the first time <laughs> I took off, I was like, I know, I know they say upon depart, like once you depart contact, but I'm so used to flying America. I'm so used to telling them, they're like, Hey, if you haven't contacted departure, what's going on? I was like, Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Let me do that now. <laughs> so, yeah. The, uh, it, it's funny. It, and that's not just a Canadian thing. That's a, an airport to airport thing. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes Toronto Pearson will tell you. Sometimes they won't. Interesting. There's no, there's no rhyme or reason. I wish there was, I wish they would say it. Um, but at the same time, they always seem to say it at around 400 feet when they do. Yeah, they do. Which is, you know, the next the next busiest part of my flight. Yeah. So it's uh, it's not a bad thing at all. Just like just knowing, just you, it's just a good thing to know exactly what they want and have kind of the same thing happen over and over again, like you said. All right, Jeffrey, I have the rapid fire questions here for you, and they're very simple questions. And you just tell me the first thing that pops into your mind. You ready? All right, let's do it. All right, what's your favorite airplane you've ever flown? The Citation Sovereign. Favorite airport you've ever flown to actually flying and not like a passenger or anything? Uh, Toronto Island Airport. Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. I know we talked about <laughs> that before we started recording, but just flying with that skyline, flying in the pattern with that skyline would probably be very distracting. <laughs> um, you know, well, the, the one that actually that rapid fire came into my mind was a trip where I flew the Citation Bravo in there. They don't typically allow jets into that airport, mm-hmm. but we got chartered to do a um, to fly in Oregon, a heart actually. Oh wow! From Miami, Florida to Toronto, 
And uh, because of that, we were allowed to land the island. So it was really cool landing at the airport where it all started for me in a jet as, as I was a captain. Oh, yeah. It's like everything that, comes that was, full full circle. You're right. like, yep, I made 100%. it. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, here's a tough one. This seems to get people a lot. And you can say more than one person if you want. You can kind of give a shout okay. out to your top three or top five. What's your favorite okay. aviation Instagram account to follow? Favorite aviation Instagram account to follow? Uh, oh, boy. Um, I like corporate jets and business jets. Um, both of those, I just, I just like looking at nice business jets. Oh yeah, for um, sure. They usually get some really good, um, some really good shots. Oh yeah. And I like following, uh, one of the photographers on their MG, uh, aviation there that takes a lot of the shots that most of them feature. The guy's an insanely talented, uh, aviation photographer that's awesome here is one do you like longer trips or shorter trips i like longer ones providing that the layover is longer that comes along with it there you go i would agree with that here's one would you rather fly over the city the mountains the country or a beach the mountains okay if you weren't a pilot what would you want to be air traffic control there you go i could see that all All right. right you like piper or cessna better piper but cirrus more, more than both of those. Serious, more than both of those. All right, I'll add serious yeah. into that one. Most people haven't had the opportunity yeah. to fly serious, so that's I'll have to add that in there. I've always wanted to fly one. Yeah, they're my company. So if Sirius is listening, they want to donate a plane to you or me. I mean, just go ahead. We'll we'll film some videos in it, <laughs> give you yeah. some good press. Well, I don't want to blow any any news, but there's going to be a a personality with one from Sirius at some point soon. That's awesome. So cool, man. Yeah, well, we look forward they're to. De- it. They're definitely they're definitely a progressive company when it comes to social media. And, um, you know, they're, uh, if there's any kind of company that us as ad geeks and social media people support, it should be a company like Cirrus being that they're right. so open and they're so, they understand social media, they get it and they support it. That's awesome. Uh, and not very many companies do no. as far as aircraft manufacturing. I don't know yep. any of them that do. Yeah. Maybe I'll have to reach out to them, see if they want to help support the podcast and uh, I can talk yeah. about how awesome their planes are. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Cool, man. All right, here's one more. What's a plane you've always wanted to fly? Um, this is kind of funny, and some people might laugh at this one, but a Piper Cheyenne 400 LS. Okay. Um, I spent a good bit of my formative days, as I mentioned, flying you know twin-engine turboprops. So they were Piper Cheyennes mm-hmm. here in Toronto. And uh, my favorite airplane, other than the Sovereign that I fly now, was the Cheyenne 3, which is the big T-tail yeah. Uh, version of the Cheyenne. It was just an awesome airplane to fly. It was so smooth and easy to fly. And, you know, it was like 310 knots. Like, there's a person I ever broke 300 knots. You know, it's just this really cool airplane. And uh, it has kind of a, I guess, a, um, a unicorn of, of a brother um, called the Cheyenne 400, which is the same airplane, but it goes from 700 horsepower pt6s to thousand horsepower garrets oh wow and these just gigantic paddle prop um blades on it they're yeah. like they look like paddles they're just gi- <laughs> they look like they, um, they look like he took a c-130 prop off a c-130 and put it on the front of a cheyenne like it, oh, it's, that's crazy it's just i mean to, for lack of a better word it is just pure badass that's awesome um, and the airplane goes from like a 300 knot airplane to like a 360 knot airplane which in turboprop world that's a lot more performance yeah, it is. that's a big um, difference and it goes up to or 370 knots maybe or 80 it is fast that's awesome and then it also was the first turboprop to go up to 41,000 feet oh wow which is also equally as amazing <laughs> that's um, crazy 
no King Air goes up there. No. Uh, the only other turboprop that I know of that goes up there is a Piaggio. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I fly Pilatus, and we we stay at. I mean, we can go up to thirty thousand. We fly older Pilatuses, so the newer ones might go higher. But Pilatuses yeah. live at twenty eight, twenty seven, up in that range. Yeah. Yeah. So you know this this Piper Cheyenne four hundred. I mean, if I ever won the lottery and had the money, I would I would buy one of these things nice. and just gut it and renovate it. And That's awesome. It, It'd be my toy. Hopefully you win the lottery soon so you can do that. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and then I'll definitely be giving you guys some good content in that machine. Heck yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here's one and two. What's your favorite flight that you've ever had? Um, my favorite flight I ever had was the first time I, I – my family's always had a special connection to Florida. Uh, my family's always had a condo or some house down in Florida, and I always loved going there. It sounds so silly, and a lot of people in aviation are so sick of Florida that are corporate pilots here in <laughs> Toronto. But for some reason, Florida just has a special spot for me. That's awesome. It's where I did all my license conversions before kind of starting my career. It's where I did yeah. all my U.S. stuff. Nice. Um, so Florida's got a special moment for me. So it was the first time that I flew an airplane that I was in control of down yeah. to Florida. So that was my most memorable. And then second to that was when I flew the first airplane, the first time I flew back to where I started my career out of Burbank, California from Toronto. Um, I flew a Premier jet from Toronto to Burbank to, uh, I'm totally going to name drop right now, but to <laughs> go pick up, uh, Eva Longoria. Oh, no way. That's Japan. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Fly her back to Toronto, um, to do a, a rally for sick kids. Uh, oh, one cool. of the hospitals here in Toronto has this uh, car rally and she's usually a spokesperson for it. That's really cool. All right, here we go. Here's yeah. one. What is something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Ooh, that's a good one. I wish I knew that failure was going to happen. Uh, like I truly knew it. I wish I like, it wasn't just like, okay, yeah, you're going to fail, blah, blah, blah. But you actually knew it was going to happen and you actually knew you were going to make it. So I guess maybe a two part question. I wish I knew that I would make it before I got into it. Yeah. Cause I, 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 I wouldn't say I'm a doubter, but I think my, my nerves and everything would have been a lot different had I known I'd be here in 2017. Like we said, there's so many different ways to make it in the in the aviation industry. And like you don't know if it's going to be with the dream company you have when you're 18 years old, but your dream company is going to change by the time you get to that, you know? So you 100%. Can, yeah, you can make it. It just might not be the same as what you thought, and that's okay. And then what's your favorite thing about aviation? The people. Agreed. I was going to say the community. I, just the community is incredible. Yeah, I get so much support uh, from people in social media. I mean, it's the only way for me to really – deal with people in aviation is at these you know at these shows and meet and greets and stuff like that um i mean you're gonna get haters everybody's yep. got haters they do um <laughs> and i mean they pop up on my live streams and i usually try to have as much fun with them as i possibly can <laughs> um, that's the best way to go about it that's for sure mm. all right here's one for you what's your favorite food to eat on the road this is just a funny this will be funny uh my favorite food to eat on the road is an omelet okay there you go I don't know. My, my, my aircraft leaves insanely early in the morning. Yeah. As you guys know that follow me and watch my stories, I wake up at 4.30 in the morning. Yep. Um, almost exclusively for every flight that I do. And, you know, I don't really get a chance to have a warm breakfast. I'm certainly not waking up at 3.30 so I can make myself not. a warm breakfast in the morning. <laughs> Absolutely so, <not. laughs> kind of, you know, as funny as it sounds, but, you know, by 7 a.m., I've already, I'm already airborne on my way somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, I haven't had a warm breakfast and I usually, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I'm tired on the airplane, but I'm certainly not, you know, at my afternoon best. 
And it's just really nice to check into a hotel, get out of the uniform, and then like sit down to a nice warm breakfast. It's like <laughs> people are probably going to be laughing, but it's, it's quite therapeutic to me to have that. Uh, <laughs> Heck yeah, you know, I also live alone, so I don't have anybody living with me. And, you know, like having a warm meal is not something that I have a whole lot <laughs> because of the nature of my lifestyle. So yep, I can definitely uh, agree with that a little bit. <laughs> having some guy cook me a nice omelet. Shout out to uh, to Tony at the Marriott in Vancouver. He's my favorite. If I ever go to the the Marriott in Vancouver, I'm gonna ask for Tony. Yeah. You do that. <laughs> That's you awesome. Just as high. Yeah. You all right. I'll do that, man. What's your favorite overnight city? Austin, Texas. Ooh, that's a good one. I love Austin. It's a good place. I don't know anybody that doesn't. This is the last one, and I almost I'm almost positive I know what you're gonna say. What's your favorite <laughs> airline livery? Air Canada. Yeah, I thought that's what you said. Do you like the new one better than the old one, or are you? I like the. I I'm a sucker for the old baby blue. I don't know. I don't think there's there's much sexier than a, a baby blue. You know, pearl blue, seven eight seven coming in the land. It's just. I would agree. I like I like the baby blue. I think I'm I like the older one better, but I'm sure the newer one will grow. I mean, just like every other. Oh airline yeah, it'll, it'll grow on me yeah. too. And, then, and the seven eight seven looks good now. You can yeah. paint the thing brown. And it'll I was about to say it's hard to mess up a paint job on a seven eighty seven. That's just a plane that looks good no matter what. Everything just looks really really good. Yeah. All right, Jeffrey. And anyone I know in aviation follows you. If they don't follow you, they're living under a rock, or they just don't truly follow aviation accounts but what was the inspiration behind your account like when did you start it did you want to have a big following or did you just want to post content to kind of that you thought was cool and just wanted to help people um so i got into instagram like i said um it wasn't to help people i'd I'd love to be able to say it was (laughs) Um, but all fairness to it was it was my being envious of the generation of pilots that are coming through today that have GoPros and camera phones and Instagram and YouTube and all these avenues to document and share and store their aviation journey. Um, I didn't have that. I don't have anything from, I don't have very much from my beginning days of aviation. And instead of complaining about that, I decided, well, I'm not going to be able to do that. So again, like I've been saying, get back up, you know, get on your feet and start doing it now. You know, this is is the soonest that I can can produce content for myself. So I just started doing that so I could document my career. You know, maybe I'm not going to be able to document it from the beginning, but Hey, I've got 30 years left in this industry, so I can document it for 30 years. And that's, that's pretty good. That's where it started. And then it was never meant to, I mean, I guess everybody chooses and starts Instagram hoping that people are going to enjoy their content and follow them. Right. But, uh, you know, I just wanted to start producing content for myself and I kind of developed a style that's kind of evolved. I mean, if you go back to my, you know, first couple posts, you see a certain evolution that happened of my posts and the way I post and the picture and the style. And I, I try to come up with, not really try, but I think everybody kind of has a unique way of, of doing it and mine certainly came out and yeah and at this point now yeah it's, it's to grow it to to be able to reach out to more people and meet more people um and and kind of cultivate some just awesome experiences and memories that That's i can fine. also document so you know most recently the meet and greet we had at oshkosh at bose um which is one of my sponsors um was just it was next level. Yeah, uh, it was awesome. It, it's really one thing to have the followership; it's another one to actually meet them. For sure. Uh, and that's why I kind of I ask everybody that's listening to this that 
If you guys see me on the road, you guys see my airplane parked, um, feel free to come up to it and say hi. I mean, a lot of you guys do, but uh, I know a lot of you guys that messaged me the same day or within hours when I landed at my next spot saying, you know, I thought that was you, but I didn't want to bother you. Like, definitely come out and say hi. Um, I've always got a moment and uh, I'm never too busy. Even if I'm grabbing a clearance or whatever, you know, feel free to come up front and sit beside me in the other seat <laughs> and uh, get the clearance with me. So That's awesome. Uh, my door, I have an open, uh, an open door policy on my aircraft. That's awesome. Um, for people to come and say hi. And if you see me in FBOs, the same goes there. That's really cool. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome that you were, you're willing to do that and have people come up with you. Uh, I know recently you've been trying to segue into YouTube a little bit. What's the plan for yep. your YouTube channel? Like, what's uh, the overall goal? Do you want to have flight vlogs, live streaming? What all? What kind of content are you going to put on there? Yeah, I think um, I really, I mean, for my own personal enjoyment and to, to reach out to, um, you know, my, my supporters, the live streams are great. Yeah. Um, I'm able to answer questions in real time. They can hear my voice. They can kind of see me. It's a more personal way. It's the most personal way I can interact with my um, with my supporters without being there. So I'm going to keep doing live streams. I really enjoy them. They're a lot of fun. And I think that the goal with the YouTube is a very similar to what Steve-O is doing now. Kind of a flight vlog. Yeah. Mine's going to focus more on the lifestyle of how my day goes rather than the actual chatting with guys in flight. Um, I've kind of set some personal barriers of where and when I will, I will be shooting. Um, and I'm not going to be talking to a camera in flight. Um, (laughs) now I may end up doing some pans across the, uh, the flight deck and talking about and doing a narrative, um, and doing a voiceover of what's going on and kind of explain to people what's happening. But I'm certainly not going to have the camera on me and chatting with them while you know while I have passengers on board. Right. Definitely. Uh, I definitely have a line. Sadly, I I, I can't cross that. I can probably cross that, but I just don't. I want to have a little bit of privacy for my passengers. Of course. And um, just I don't know. I wouldn't say it's a safety thing that I can focus more on the flight because in cruise flight, there's really not much going not a whole on. lot going on, <laughs> as no. you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, five hours is a long time to not have anything to do in a cockpit. <laughs> right. So it would be actually nice to talk to you guys and it'd be really cool to do a live stream from the flight deck. That would be, awesome. that'd be next level. I don't <laughs> think anybody's ever done that before. Probably so not. That would yeah. Be, You'd be the first. Um, yeah. So that would be pretty neat. But, uh, no, my, my, my YouTube vlog, as you guys have seen on my Instagram stories, I know a lot of you guys watch that. Um, it's where the majority of my following comes from and growth and kind of, if you will, hype for lack of a better word that comes from my account is from my stories. Yeah. Um, they're insanely fun for me to share. Um, I get so much out of that. Um, it started off as a pet project, as I mentioned to you earlier, before we started recording, um, Instagram stories for me were, are kind of training for my YouTube channel. Um, they were set off to be that way and they continue to be that way. So, I'm currently, you know, I'm, I've been practicing with YouTube or with Instagram stories, getting used to the 15 second life. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be interesting to transition to infinite life and see how much <laughs> uh, content I can put forth without boring you guys. But uh, whatever you guys see right now on Instagram stories, expect to see a little more cinematic, a lot more content of that kind of thing. Cool. Uh, a little more, you know, um, 
interaction with 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 my uh, supporters as well. Awesome. And then for anyone that, like we said, that lives under a rock or just doesn't for some reason is new to Instagram, where can they find you on Instagram and where can they find you on YouTube? What's the best way to? What's the username? What's the tag? What's all that? Yeah. Well, on Instagram, I am Jeffrey the Pilot. On YouTube, my name is Jeffrey the Pilot, but you would find me at uh, youtube.com slash user slash JPAV, the number eight, the uh, the number, or sorry, S, the number four, and then the letter U. So JPAV8 for you is how that translates. It was go. my old name on Instagram um, that was since changed because it's also the license plate on my car <laughs> and uh that was starting to cause a little bit of yeah, problems it's good so. to separate <laughs> personal <laughs> life and Instagram. a little bit at one yeah. point there <laughs> but uh yeah if you search um jp aviates for you um or just check out my profile on instagram has yeah. my uh link to my uh, youtube on it there we go guys so if you ever want to follow him head to his Instagram page. If you want to follow him on YouTube, just click the profile. You'll get directed right there. And I know that people are looking forward to to seeing your vlogs, to seeing your content. So I'm excited to see where that's going to go. And I think that that'll be a cool way for you just to have people get to know you better and kind of understand who you are as an aviator and what you do on a daily basis. So that'd be really cool. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to, uh, I'm looking forward to doing it. And I'm looking forward to sharing it. I can't wait to hit that, uh, the upload button for the first time it's going to be uh it's going to be something all right jeffrey thank you so much for coming on the podcast uh it's just been so much fun to talk with you and one of my favorite things about this podcast and just about this instagram community is getting to know the people in aviation getting to know the big accounts it's so great for just someone that follows you to understand like the struggles you went through just how everything like you said you'd like to post a lot of good on instagram but it's also good for people to know that it's okay to fail it's okay to have adversity and react to that adversity and i think that your story will help someone maybe they failed their private pilot check right maybe they failed something else or just are really in a tough time right now and i think that they can hear how you overcame adversity and how you got to where you wanted to be by continuing by grinding by going as hard as you can by not being okay with walking away from aviation you knew this was a dream and you knew you wanted to go after it and nothing was going to stop you so i really think that that's going to help people out in training, whether it doesn't even matter if they're an airline pilot, people go through those doubts. And I, I'm just so excited for people to hear this. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have shared it. Um, I love the people that support me, my ab geeks, as I call them. And uh, you guys all motivate me. I'm glad I can share my story with you guys. I'm glad I've gotten onto the streams to actually interact with you guys on a more personal level. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm really happy to, uh, to meet with you guys and, and chat. So if you guys ever see me out and about at the airport, you see the door open on my airplane, feel free to come up front and say hi. Uh, I'm always there for you guys. You guys are always there for me. So just come on out and say hi. Awesome. Well, Jeffrey, thank you again. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, have a great day, man. Thank you. You too, brother. And that is a wrap of episode number 18. Aviation, thank you guys so much for giving this episode a listen. I appreciate it more than you know. I want to go ahead at this time and thank my Patreon supporters. I want to thank Philip Sutphin. Daniel Morrissey and Josh Ortiz, they are in the group where they are personally thanked on a podcast or on our Instagram post. If you are looking to be thanked and looking for a shout out on this podcast or on our Instagram, go ahead and go to patreon.com slash pilot the pilot and look at the reward tiers and see which one you would like to do. Aviation, thank you guys so much. I hope you guys are out there flying. I hope you guys are out there grinding toward your aviation career and happy flying. Have a great day, guys. See ya.